is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily. I'm Charles Feldman. I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. We're getting to a sticky topic popping up in the pandemic. Should unvaccinated patients go to the back of the line at hospitals when it comes to care? Should priority be given to others if hospitals are experiencing surges? And should the unvaccinated pay more for health insurance? Imagine being alone and away from home, then getting COVID. We'll talk to a colleague who is experiencing that right now. Nurses have arguably been the busiest, perhaps the hardest working people in the pandemic. We'll get into how they are managing now and what the future looks like for them. Let's start with the ethics of handling unvaccinated hospital patients. With us is Larry Levitt, Executive Vice President for Health Policy at the Kaiser Family Foundation. Larry, this is a very controversial issue. How should unvaccinated people be treated at hospitals? I think it's it's quite controversial. Uh, I mean, we have a long history in this country of, you know, guaranteeing health care to people in an emergency. Uh, but, you know, we have a situation right now in parts of the country where there are simply not enough hospital beds, not enough doctors, not enough nurses uh, to take care of, of everyone because of the uh, massive number of COVID cases especially among people who are unvaccinated. And, you know, that, that's going to raise questions about rationing care, whether, whether, however we're making those decisions. Why do you think the, the compassion fatigue has been rising uh, over the last, what, is it just the, the, the time of it? You've had your chance to get your vaccine, or now we've seen conference rooms again turn into makeshift triage centers because the ICU beds are full. Or we've got these stories of people who, had care that they needed that, you know, you could do surgery on a normal day on this this person, treat whatever it is, but they couldn't get it. And now they're in really bad shape or they're dying. And, and that's not, you know, what usually happens when you expect to go to the hospital. Uh, you expect to get care, but not necessarily these days. That's right. I mean, you know, we we, um, we have seen people go without care because of COVID uh, since the beginning of this pandemic. You know, people are not getting cancer screenings. People are not uh, getting preventive care. People are not getting elective surgeries and in some cases, even emergency care uh, that they need because there are, there are just not enough hospital beds or not enough doctors to, to care for them. But but it's different now. I mean, last last year, um, you, you know, it was people were getting sick through no fault of their own. Um, now we know that vaccines can prevent hospitalizations in the vast majority of cases. Uh, so people choosing to be unvaccinated are, are essentially bringing this cost onto on to the system. Um, you know, we put out research uh, recently showing that there were over 100,000 preventable hospitalizations for COVID among unvaccinated people in June and July, and that cost the healthcare system over $2 billion. Health insurance. Uh, was I think it was Delta Airlines a few weeks ago that said it, it was going to charge unvaccinated employers employees a $200 per month uh, surcharge on their health insurance uh, because they're not vaccinated and therefore they can get sick and cost everybody a lot of money. Is that uh, something that insurance companies are giving serious thought to, do you think? And and could that work? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, um, so, so employers can, can certainly do this. Employers can require their employees to get vaccinated. They can 
penalize employees who are not vaccinated. Uh, insurance companies themselves can't, uh, you know, under the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare, Obamacare insurance companies cannot charge people more uh, based on whether they're vaccinated or not. That's, you know, similar to a pre-existing condition in some, in some ways. Uh, but employers can, can do a lot to encourage vaccination, including requiring it, or, or in this case, as Delta is doing, penalizing workers who, who are unvaccinated. And, you know, I think it's a similar issue. I mean, you know, people who are vaccinated and, and uh, not getting severely ill or, or, uh, and, and seeing all kinds of restrictions uh, in our way of life uh, that are in some sense being imposed by people who are unvaccinated uh, are getting kind of tired of it. All this being said, though, is it still not a super slippery slope? Because we depend on the system and all these other instances, too, to get me out of, you know, bad luck or a vice or a, a weakness or whatever. It's it, There's supposed to be no judgment. You go in there and they're going to work on you. No, that's right. I mean, it's uh, our, our medical system operates on that that uh, on that policy of of no judgment, and and our insurance system does too. I mean, we don't uh, charge people more because they're overweight or uh, because they got sick because they smoked or or drank too much. Uh, so you know, th- it does raise issues. I mean, you know, it, it may sound good to people to ration care based on whether people are vaccinated or not, or charge them more for health insurance. But, you know, it feels very different if you substitute vaccination uh, for, let's say, you know, being overweight or drinking or not eating right or being pregnant. Uh, You know, it used to be the case that you got charged more for health insurance or denied health insurance if you were pregnant. Um, So, you know, it's a it becomes a very slippery slope. Larry Levitz, Executive Vice President, Health Policy, the Kaiser Family Foundation. Picture this. You go on a nice solo vacation, you mask up on the plane, land, everything is great, plus you're vaccinated, but then you get sick with COVID anyway. Now you have to quarantine for a while. Yeah, this happened to Alex Silverman, program director of KYW News Radio in Philadelphia. He's alone, sick with COVID, quarantined in Alaska. We're also joined by Dr. Monica Gandhi, infectious disease physician at UC San Francisco. Alex, we start with you, your story, dream trip, right? And then uh, took a pretty big turn. It, it really did. Um, it, it uh, you know, I got to see Alaska for four or five days, and then it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I was sitting. Um, at the hotel outside having a glass of wine. And all of a sudden, I I just started to feel strange. And I started, I got up, I started walking back to the room. And by the time I got back, I had such chills that I just had to jump under the covers. And I'll tell you, those first couple of days, when it was just getting progressively worse, that was a really scary time. Um, and despite being fully vaccinated, and all of it, uh, I had basically every symptom that defines, you know, moderate COVID, everything up to the difficulty breathing thing. I had loss of smell. I had fevers for several days. Um, I had uh, coughing. I had a sore throat, all of it. At what point did the test come in and what was the like, oh gosh, I've got to get to or stay in this hotel. How do I get food? What do I do? What was all that like? Well, I was in uh, just outside Denali National Park, which is in a, a pretty remote area uh, of Alaska, a couple of hours from any real metropolitan area of any kind. Uh, but I was very lucky where I was staying. There happened to be a, a testing site just uh, about 50 yards from the hotel. So um, I was able to get over there. I got a rapid test, uh, which came back positive. And, and this is interesting. And I'd be curious to to ask, to ask Dr. Gandhi if this is significant. But they told me it would take 
11 minutes for that test to come back. It came back, it popped within four minutes and said positive. Um, and obviously, you know, when, when you're symptomatic and when you get a rapid test that is positive, the assumption is that you have it. Uh, and so I immediately went into isolation. The hotel was uh, nice enough to transfer me to their sister property in Fairbanks, which is two hours to the north, um, because there are no hotels in that area or no uh, hospitals, I should say, in that area. And they want to make sure that everyone who is isolating is near a hospital should the worst happen. How surprised, Alex, were you that considering that you were fully vaccinated and you took all the precautions that I mentioned leading into you, uh, how surprised were you that you ended up getting COVID? You know, it was in the back of my mind, of course. Uh, I had booked this trip before uh, the Delta surge began. Uh, and so I, at that point in time, like most people who were fully vaccinated and were moving about the, the world, uh, you know, I had every confidence that um, I was going to be OK doing my day to day things. Uh, and, and we started to hear all of this talk and, and more and more breakthrough cases sort of amongst our networks. Um, and, you know, you start to realize that this is a thing that can happen, but still the data is showing that it is rare. And I have to emphasize that. I mean, just because this happened to me doesn't mean that it's going to happen to everybody. And, and um, the statistics are the statistics, but uh, it, it was a very unlucky thing that happened. Well, Alex, I'm going to, Alex, I'm going to, I was going to say, stay where you are, but of course you've got, <laughs> you've got no choice. Yeah. So, hang, <laughs> so stay there because I want to uh, have uh, brought into this conversation now, Dr. Monica Gandhi, who I mentioned uh, has been with us many times an infectious disease physician over at the university of California, San Francisco, Francisco. So, doctor, uh, so Alex, fully vaccinated, right? And you may have heard him talk about how uh, he ended up coming down with what he describes as moderate symptoms, everything kind of leading up to, but not including uh, breath, you know, breathing issues. So my question to you is, is Alex, poor Alex, sitting there vegetating in a a, a hotel room (laughs) in Alaska, staring out the window, staring out the window, (laughs) is, is Alex an example of a, the vaccine doing its job, or B, the vaccine failing? You know, believe it or not, it's it's an example of the vaccine doing its job. Um, Because I think, you know, what happened between Alpha and Delta is there was this idea that you're never going to see COVID again if you're vaccinated. And the only way to not see COVID again is to not have any COVID circulating. But unfortunately, what Delta did is it made COVID circulate. And by making COVID circulate, you are susceptible to getting what's called a mild breakthrough infection. That sounded miserable, by the way, and I'm so sorry. But what what it does is that um, it penetrates your initial defenses, the virus, which are called antibodies. Then your immune system kicks in which is what happened to you, your immune system kicked in. And by kicking in, your antibodies started getting produced from what are called your memory B cells. Your T cells prevented you from getting super severe disease. And actually, the vaccine worked. Um, miserable, but the vaccine worked. Alex, is that any comfort to you? <laughs> it, it, you know, it really, it, and, and like I said, it was a scary couple of days when it was progressively getting worse. But I had to continue to have in the back of my head the knowledge that 
being vaccinated, uh, you know, it was extremely unlikely that this was going to progress to a severe disease. And I, I saw a doctor on video who told me the same thing. I knew that just from you know, what I had read and what I had done in my professional life. And that was the comfort that I had. And, uh, and you know, that's what ended up happening. But still, it, it was a, a scary few days trying to, 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 uh, to find out when this would end and when it would stop progressing. And then once it did, and I was sitting there without the ability to taste or smell or, uh, and, and just didn't feel like myself, um, you know, when it was going to start to improve. And, you know, when you're sick, you have that feeling sometimes where you, you forget what it's like to feel normal. Um, and when you're alone, that's a lot worse. But, you know, I, I did know, I did always have in the back of my head the, the fact that I was vaccinated. And that gave me a huge amount of comfort. Doctor, um, let's go back to you for a second, because people with trips planned are hearing this and going, okay, uh, I don't want to sit for 10 days in the hotel, especially what if I'm going like to... France or Spain or something, what can we learn about Alex's trip that can uh, help inform ours? Are we upping our mask game when we're on the plane in crowded spaces? What are we doing to try and make sure this doesn't happen to us? Yes, this is a great question. So, um, so there are two things to do. Try to go places that have lower circulating cases if you can, um, which you don't, you can't always, but like, for example, Italy right now is um, actually Spain's coming down, but it's, it was better than Spain a month ago. So look at the circulating pieces, because then you're more likely to even encounter the virus. And then exactly right about the mask. When you're in inside spaces, do the stronger mask. So, for example, on the plane, I would do KN94. In fact, some airlines are just, especially international airlines, are mandating KN94 or KN95. Um, so that's that one that blocks more of the virus. Then inside, either do that. Or use like a double mask, so a surgical mask plus a uh, cloth mask, or put a filter paper in between your two cloth masks. So like you'll have a regular cloth mask, but it has that filter pocket, and then you put a filter paper in there. Comes on Amazon. Sorry, those are great uh, masks, uh, and they really block a lot of virus. So it's upping your mask game right now. Yeah, you know, Dr. Gandhi makes a great point, and that's something that I, you know being vaccinated, I said, you know, I really don't need more than that cloth mask on the plane. And, you know, I, I obviously can't trace where I got it for sure, but I regret that decision now. Oh, so wait a minute. So, so you wore a cloth mask? Is that it? I, I did. On the plane, I wore a cloth mask. So, Dr. Gandhi, it, it, does that raise the possibility, realistic one, that perhaps that wasn't the best choice on an airplane? Well, you know, Cloth masks were definitely recommended, and you'll see a lot of people wearing cloth masks. But to be fair, there was actually just a study. Um, this study got a lot of attention. Called, uh, it was a Bangladesh-based uh, randomized controlled trial of different types of masks. And cloth masks simply were not effective compared to surgical masks. Um, and this is some studies that we had done with our group even earlier this year that the, the even surgical masks, like if you want to get super strong, which I would do right now since we have Delta, to combine it with a cloth mask um, or, or you know, yeah, up it even more to the KN95. So cloth was good for like really good times, but we're not in great times right now, meaning there's more spreading the virus. So that wasn't unreasonable at all. Like you'll see a lot of people wearing cloth masks, but I wouldn't do it right now. Although to his point, we can also play the where did I get this game forever? Because yeah. with the incubation <laughs> period, it's either maybe it was Alaska. Maybe you brought it from Philly. Who knows? You're probably never right. going to find out. 
And right. one thing yeah, I, I want to say about the plane, if I could say this right, turn on that vent up, uh, up above you, by the way, um, because uh, there's like a lot of good air circulation on a plane. And I always turn on that vent to make it even more. Alex, uh, in, in looking back now, uh, the mask aside, uh, would you have rethought even taking the trip uh, with the danger of even being fully vaccinated, potentially getting a breakthrough? And, and Dr. Gandhi, by the way, I, I read your comment, and I think it was a New York Times piece today, that the, the odds of breakthrough infections are very small, but nonetheless, there's poor Alex in Alaska with one. Yeah. Uh, would, would you have done things much differently, Alex? Oh, it's a tough. I'll put put it this way, Charles. I really needed a vacation. Um, (laughs) I I knew that there was a risk. Um, I mean, knowing that this happened, it would it's an impossible question to answer because, um, you know, I I would never, ever want to go through this, nor would I would would I want anybody else to go through it. Uh, But um, it 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 was a rare thing uh, and it was an unlikely event that happened to happen to me. Uh, and that's the way I have to look at it. That's life. You kind of mentioned. It is a rare thing. I think that's really important to make that point. Alex, you mentioned before we broke last time something along these lines, but I'm wondering if you think this would have been at least uh, to a certain extent easier had you been at home, because we've all had bad flus and bad colds at home, but we've got the groceries and we've got the dog. How much worse was it that you were that far away and then stuck in the hotel alone? Oh, it's. It, it was really difficult. Um, I, I wouldn't sugarcoat that. Uh, being 4,200 miles away from everyone you know, uh, it was a great solo trip up until that point. And then suddenly it became extremely lonely and extremely isolating. And fortunately, I had amazing friends and family to uh, be able to FaceTime with and all of that. But of course, when you're in a place that, I mean, my first uh, I hadn't seen Fairbanks before I was dropped off at the hotel here and wasn't allowed to leave. So obviously it was very difficult. Uh, one takeaway I certainly would, um, uh, I would have, and I would suggest people look into is if you're going to travel, there are a lot of travel insurance packages that do cover, uh, COVID related isolation and quarantine, uh, which I didn't have. And I'm fortunate enough that, you know, while it's a, a financial hit, uh, it's not going to ruin me, but a lot of people aren't in that situation uh, to have to pay out of pocket for 10 days in a hotel. Um, that's the situation I ended up in. And there are packages that can um, at least deal with that should this happen to you. Dr. Gandhi, if you're going to another country, uh, should you do a lot of homework before you go to find out what the medical care is like there and what uh, happens if you come down with COVID as an, an American stuck in wherever you happen to be stuck in? Whoop. Wait. Might have lost her. Maybe, doc, maybe she's in quarantine. Oh, no, sorry. Oh, no, no, she's not. Okay. <laughs> there you are. <laughs> so I would do two things. Like, again, your chance of getting a breakthrough infection really depends on the circulating cases in that region. So... Um, I always think about, I've always done that throughout the pandemic, is look at like Denmark and Ireland are lovely right now because they have low circulating cases. They're wide open. They're going to open in October. Um, uh, uh, so there are places that you just want to be like, go there because they're low circulating cases would be less likely. But then, yes, I think that's a really good idea is that you actually have to test when you come back in, uh, from an international trip. Uh, per the CDC, this is this is required, um, and so just ensure that you know where you could even go 
to like a pharmacy to get the, the medications that just help you even get through a flu-like syndrome, um, even analgesics and stuff for your nose and Sudafed and those kind of medications. So um, I think that's a really important point. And, you know, right now, the risk in this country, depending on where you are, is anywhere from one in 5,000 to like one in 20,000. Again, like going, it, it just depends on where you're going. And that, by um, the way, just to interrupt, yeah. th- that figure is for somebody vaccinated, right? Yes. Oh, oh, yes. Yeah, so okay. those, that's for breakthrough. I mean, if it's unvaccinated, that it's not called a breakthrough, it's called true infection. And of course, that risk is much higher. So essentially, you know, recent LA data showing you're about eight times as likely to be infected if you're unvaccinated than vaccinated. There was just data over the weekend from Kings County in uh, up in Washington, which is the Seattle area, that you're about 16 times more likely to get infected if you're unvaccinated than vaccinated. So no doubt, um, you're you're much less likely to even get uh, infected at all if you're vaccinated. All right, Dr. Monica Gandhi there, UC San Francisco. Uh, Alex, you can smell again, right? How many more days of this? I can. I have a jar of peanut butter next to me because it's just so (laughs) sweet to be able to smell that after all these days. This is day uh, eight now. Do you even like peanut butter? I didn't. I didn't before quite as much (laughs) as I do now. (laughs) All right, a couple more days. Alex Silverman there up in Alaska. Uh, Thanks to you both. Coming up after a short break, will the pandemic make the nurse shortage worse. The pandemic has put nurses in the spotlight. More attention has been given to who they are and what they do than ever before. They've been dealing with more stress, longer hours, and there's a shortage could impact the future. Dr. Maggie Harkins, Dean of School of Nursing and Health Sciences at Holy Family University with KYW's Matt Leon. The state of nursing is very rough right now. We have, um, we have many of our nurses who are at the bedside working uh, tirelessly with their patients and their families, trying to care for those at home as well. They're exhausted. They're, uh, some of them are without PPE, the protective wear that they need, or they don't have the appropriate protective wear. They are struggling with dealing with patients who are dying. I, um, I spoke with one nurse who said that she has never put so many patients in body bags since this past year and a half. To that point, is there anything in our recent history, when I say recent, I mean 20, 30, 40 years, that compares to this like i'm sure on a very micro scale there are certain communities during a national natural disaster or stuff that have had to deal with this but not for this long and you know not just every day this is we're in kind of you know uncharted territory here unless we go back 100 years to the last pandemic right right so so i've been in nursing for 30 years and i've never seen nursing this bad It is very challenging out there, especially those who are at the bedside. The ones that are at the bedside are doing 8, 12, 16-hour shifts. They they don't eat. They don't sleep. They go home. They cry. it's, it's It's very distressing for nurses practicing today at the bedside. So I'm curious... 
Because one of the things that was heartening for me is I've talked to uh, the deans of a couple of public health schools over the last year and a half. And as much fire as the public health department, uh, public health departments are under from people who don't want to believe this is real, who are driven by their political beliefs. One of the things I was heartened by is, as they say, that they've seen a swell of people enroll. They've seen a lot of people who want to help, who want to get into public health. Overall, are we seeing the same thing in nursing? Are we seeing people want to help, or is the pandemic pushing people the other way, or is it too early to tell? I think that's a twofold answer. I think um, we are seeing enrollment thriving, especially in our second degree programs. And um, those programs are for students who already have a degree in another profession. And for whatever reason, that profession did not work out for them. What they're seeing is when you take a look back at the past year and a half with COVID, you can see that the jobs that survived COVID are the healthcare jobs. Many of the other jobs folded. Many of, many of the companies could not, could not survive. Healthcare survived because we've got people in the hospitals. We need nurses. So people are looking at the profession as not only a way to help, and you have to, you have to say that first. Um, nobody goes into nursing without wanting to help people. That's the fundamental reason for being a nurse. But it also is a good career. And I think people are looking back at what jobs survived and which ones did not. Radiology is still there. Nursing is still there. All the healthcare fields, they're all thriving right now because healthcare is where COVID has impacted the most. How we hear a lot about nursing shortage, and I'm sure that's true because of everything we have talked about here. Uh, the average person that isn't sick is lucky enough to not have to deal with the medical community other than, you know, getting a physical once a year, once every other year. Uh, why should people be worried about a nursing shortage uh, affecting them? Kind of give me the, the ripple effect of, of what it means. Well, what's happening is we have um, individuals for their own, their own reasons, and I respect that, they do not want to get vaccinated. But the statistics are showing that those individuals are the ones that are getting COVID. So COVID is taking up our ICU beds, our medical surgical beds in the hospital. So if you are the average person who luckily enough only gets a physical exam maybe once a year and you fall and you break a hip, you may not be able to get that bed that you need because our beds are being taken up by those who have COVID. So it is a ripple effect. Those individuals who are healthy and I mean, thank God they're healthy, but it will eventually affect everyone. Do you think we will see, I say when the pandemic's over, I don't even know what that looks like. And I don't even know if we're to a point where we can get a grasp of, you know, when we're completely on the other side of this, if we ever truly are, but, uh, 
do you are you worried about a lot of people that have been in nursing for a long time after we get through this saying you know what i i can't do it anymore i'm exhausted and is the industry kind of bracing because we talked about a lot of people want to get in from the other end which is good but could we see kind of a a wave of institutional knowledge and experience go away because people have just had too much in addition to whatever we've seen already from people that that just couldn't couldn't take it anymore absolutely i think what we're going to start to see and we're already seeing it here is individuals who are at the bedside many of them have bachelor's degrees uh, if not more than that but many of them have bachelor's degrees and what i i think is going to start happening is these individuals because they are, for lack of a better word, some of them burning out, they are going to want to get into something that is different than bedside nursing, but still helping people. And a lot of that could be education, could be um, working as health coaches, things like that, that are not so much at the bedside. That bedside work is hard work. That is exhausting. And I, I've done it. I, I know exactly what it's like. And you go home, you, after a 12 hour shift, you eat, if you're lucky, you sleep and you get up and you do it again. And, and you come home to your family members who, who want to be with you and who, who want to spend time with you, but you, you don't have the, the energy after working in the hospital at the bedside to do a lot of that. So you sacrifice a lot as a nurse. Research published out of Israel finds some people who had COVID are smelling things that might not be there at an average of six to seven months after becoming ill and first reporting loss of smell. Nearly half of the nearly 1,500 people surveyed reported smell distortion, saying, for example, some things now smell like chemicals. About a quarter reported unexplained smells. One person said, sometimes I can smell burning, but no one else around me can. Persistent smell problems were seen more often in survivors with more symptoms overall, suggesting it may be a key marker of long COVID. Why is it always bad stuff? Not like popcorn or fresh linen. I know. You know? Yeah. It's like chemicals, burning. Oh, everything smells like bubble gum now. No, <laughs> right. it's never that. Yeah, no. All right. This is an Odyssey original. Find us on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher.